You're listening to Outstanding in the Field, a podcast by Perennia highlighting production practices, pest management, and more for field crops in Nova Scotia. I'm your host and provincial field crop specialist, Caitlin Condon. I'm joined today by my colleague, Katie Trottier, Perennia's ruminant livestock specialist. Katie's experience and education in livestock nutrition sets us up well for a discussion about the impacts that infield disease and infection may have on the quality of the feed being provided to livestock. All right, welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, we're going to look at things from a little bit of a different angle this episode and um, take a look at the post-harvest life of a crop that's being used for feed, where we're usually talking about things that are happening exclusively in the field. Um, so I want to set the scene a little bit for producers before we dive into it. So let's say your crop is getting close to harvest and you're seeing some disease or damage in it. That could be fusarium in your cereals or corn. Um, or you could be seeing ear rot as a result of insect damage. So preemptive management of those things is a topic for another episode. Um, But depending on the disease development conditions or insect populations present in a given year, we may see uh, more or less disease. And while managing it in the field is the goal, we may have unexpected infections or extenuating circumstances that contribute to disease in a crop that's about to be harvested. So depending on the extent of the damage, we don't have to be looking at losing that crop. And that brings me to the topic of today's conversation, which is going to be taking a look at things that can be done immediately pre and post harvest to make sure the quality of the feed is still appropriate for your livestock. So I want to start off with cereals, and one of the main concerns would be fusarium head blight, which shows up as premature bleaching of the head, um, shriveled white kernels, and a pinkish or orangish mold. So Katie, from a feed quality perspective, what is the concern with fusarium head blight in cereals? Yeah, so as you mentioned, so fusarium head blight, it's one type of plant disease that can occur in cereal crops, and it uh, can cause issues with mold or toxins that can really impact the quality of that feed for a few different reasons. The moldy feed, it will obviously be unpalatable to livestock, um, as you can probably imagine, and it can also reduce the energy content of that grain. Both of these factors will affect the feed intake, the growth rates, and then the, uh, the efficiency of how well your animals are growing. But it can also pose some major health risks to those animals, including respiratory issues or uh, abortions if you're feeding it to pregnant livestock. Mm -hmm. Um, And then mycotoxins would be another very serious risk to your livestock that can develop as a result of that fusarium fungus. So toxin is sort of the key word here. So it can uh, poison your livestock. Um, The other thing to keep in mind, though, is the old saying that it's the dose that makes the poison. So it really depends on how much of those mycotoxins are present. Right. Um, So depending... Depending on the level that is present, uh, your livestock, they might exhibit symptoms. Things might include reduced feed intake, and uh, because of that, they're going to um, experience a drop in their body condition, or they might experience mouth blisters, diarrhea, poor reproductive performance, and then uh, reduced reduce growth rates. But uh, it really depends on who you're feeding and uh, what those levels are. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, so definitely some some real risks there, depending on how much um, is present. And so when we're selling grain um, to through a grain center or whatever, then typically that grain would get tested at that point. But if you're keeping it on farm, 
to feed out to your livestock, what under what circumstances would you test a grain sample for mycotoxins? Um, so I would just be really mindful of the weather conditions that year, um, which can set the stage for that fusarium to develop. So wet conditions can be really conducive at the right stage for that fungus to take off. Um, so the fungus, it can be visible to the naked eye, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, but the toxins are not. And then also, as you mentioned, how uh, grain centers and feed mills, uh, they're going to be routinely testing that grain. So I would just pay attention to what they're seeing. So if they're seeing incidences of mycotoxins in a given year, then it likely wouldn't be a bad idea to submit your own samples if you're growing your own grain to, to feed it out, just being being proactive that way and just paying attention to what's happening in your area. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great advice. So for Nova Scotia-based farmers, where would you send the sample for analysis? So unfortunately, it does mean sending uh, it out of province. So in the past, I've sent samples to Ontario to the ANL lab. So there's a couple of different options. There's uh, another lab in Ontario that will test it, and there is um, a private lab in PEI that will test it as well. There's some options. That's good. What test would you select? Like, I think there's obviously there's different tests that you can select. And, and would you test like a general mycotoxin or a specific? Lab? Yep. So the thing about mycotoxins is that there's so, so many different ones that exist. And most labs, they only offer packages that just test for a handful of them. So how I would go about selecting what I'm going to test for, start out paying attention to what other people are seeing in your area and use that as a starting point. So for example, we saw vomitoxin in barley in Colchester County last summer. So if it were me and I were concerned about my barley, I'm going to use that as a starting point. So I'll definitely test for vomitoxin. And then depending if you're going to see value in uh, in it, there's some, some packages that you can test for other common mycotoxins. So you usually do get better value that way, testing for a package rather than individual ones. So even if you, you select a package and it comes back that there's um, no red flags, it doesn't guarantee that your grain is totally free of mycotoxins just because there's so many that aren't being tested for. If we're being like very technical, and but uh, you are going to be getting more information if you choose a package. Um, and then, but whether or not you're going to find value in that depends on your situation. So you might only be concerned about um, one, one mycotoxin that uh, is present in your area at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So once we get those results back, can you talk a little bit about what that means for your feed quality and then what levels of donor mycotoxins um, you'd be concerned about based on those lab results? Yeah, for sure. So mycotoxins, when you get it back, it might be reported that there's none detected, like the limit is so low that it's not detected, or it might be reported on a parts per million or parts per billion basis. And then just depending on what that level is and what you're feeding, going to depend on how safe that is, uh, if it is present. So ruminants in general, they do reasonably well at neutralizing some mycotoxins compared to other species, such as pigs and poultry. They uh, tend to have more issues with it. And I, I really unfortunately can't speak to the levels that uh, monogastric species deal with. Mm -hmm. I am the the ruminant livestock specialist. So I, I do know that uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, they recommend no more than five parts per million of that vomitoxin if you're feeding beef cattle and ewes, and uh, one part per million if you're feeding lambs. So there are other agencies that report 
a higher safe inclusion level. And there is some debate in academic circles about what is considered safe. We don't really have a very good understanding of it. Um, just the research isn't really there and there's conflicting findings. So I like to play it safe myself and I use those recommendations set by uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. But uh, really the best thing to do is to talk to your veterinarian to determine what that risk level might be for your particular group of livestock. So having a valid veterinary client-patient relationship is uh, so important for so many different reasons, uh, and this is only just one of those. So different classes of livestock, they are going to have different levels of sensitivity. So uh, if you've got a group of pregnant cows versus dry cows, your, your pregnant cows would be more at risk. And then same thing if you've got a group of ewes and lambs, uh, that risk level might be different, um, that sort of idea. So it really depends what, what you're feeding uh, and what mycotoxins might be present in that grain. It's safe to say like those are really tiny amounts, one part per million to five parts per million. So safe to say that when you're armed with that information, then you're a lot further ahead in being able to figure out what you can do with that, with that grain and, and to be able to use it safely. Yep, definitely. So in terms of in-field management for Pucerium heplite or some, some other disease that uh, may result in mycotoxins, management such as timely fungicide applications or adjusting the combine to help blow out some of the shriveled up tombstone kernels can help to minimize the impact um, of that disease on your grain quality. But there's lots of reasons why you may still end up with some infected grain. And that brings us back to the testing and why that's so important. But once you have your results um, and you've talked to your vet, how does that impact how you feed out the grain? And what else can you do to make sure that you're feeding that out safely? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that you can tackle this. So as I mentioned before, the first thing to consider is who you intend to feed that grain to. And if there is an alternative use that's less risky, uh, a different group of livestock. So the other important thing to consider would the maximum recommended level set by uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, that's based on a total diet. Okay. So I'm under the assumption that when you're feeding this grain, it's going to be supplementing your forage. So just the fact that you've got something else that's in that diet, uh, that forage is automatically going to dilute that level of contamination. Right. So for example, if I had some contaminated barley, and let's say it tested at five parts per million, but I'm only feeding that as 20% of the diet. So in theory, that's going to mean that that entire diet contains one part per million. Of, um, if you are, if you're having to feed out this uh, infected grain, you can consider purchasing binders. So many companies will sell binders, uh, which are feed additives that bind up those toxins and they make it safe to feed contaminated grain. The issue with binders is that they're often uh, relatively expensive and they require a high inclusion rate. They can also bind up other essential nutrients in the diet. So they're really not a perfect solution, but they, they might be better than nothing, especially mm -hmm. in situations where you're, uh, you're not feeding breeding stock. So if you're feeding feeders, for example. Right. Okay, great. No, that gives us um, a lot of really good information on the cereal side of things. So now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about corn. So gibberella ear or stalk rot is one of the big concerns in corn, and it's also caused by the Pisarium fungus that infects cereals. So one of the biggest things that we can do to mitigate that for both crops is maintaining a good crop rotation. But if you're seeing ear rot or insect feeding damage in the crop prior to harvest, there's a couple of things that you could 
look at doing to, to try to minimize the effect. So it'd be a good idea to harvest it as soon as possible. And that would just help to prevent further infection or spread of the infection, particularly as it tends to get damper um, as we get further into the fall, which create good conditions for disease development. When there's a stock rot present, um, the plants are also more susceptible to lodging, which makes harvest more difficult. And um, when the plants are laying on top of each other like that, it's, it's also promoting that disease development environment. If the damage was confined to a fairly small localized area, um, you could consider not harvesting the damaged plants, um, but that would be kind of more of an extreme step. And you certainly wouldn't want to do that if it were a large area of the field that were, were infected. So back to the feed side of things, um, what would you look for immediately post-harvest that could indicate a problematic infection or contamination in corn silage? I would just like once you've got that bunk opened up or those bales opened up, just looking for any signs of, that there's mold or spoilage that's developed, indications of spoilage. So are we saying like discoloration and like things that are smelling off, that kind of thing? Yep. Oftentimes there'll be presence of like white mold. That's pretty obvious or anything that's black and slimy is not good either. And then also the, the smell, if it does smell oil, that's a good way to test as well. Mm-hmm. Or not to test, but it's a good indication. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So what would you recommend for feed testing in corn silage? And would you recommend something different for kind of your everyday feed silage or corn silage testing versus going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, knowing what the weather was like through the growing season. And if it was kind of more of a disease year, would you recommend something different? than you would for your kind of everyday sample. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch always, always um, feed testing your forages from a nutritional standpoint, regardless of what's happening in the environment. So okay. um, you can you can get a lot of really good information from just these standard uh, feed tests. But it's a really important piece if you're feeding a balanced ration or eating, even just creating a feed budget for the year. So just taking inventory of all the different forages that you have available to get you through the year matching up the nutritional value of the forage to the stage of production that you'll be feeding for, which uh, is really helpful for saving money and having uh, healthier and more productive animals. So the the local provincial lab, they have a standard F1 package, which is my default. So that's just the lab that's here in Bible Hill. Mm -hmm. So it's going to tell you dry matter content, energy protein content, the uh, acid detergent fiber content, and then various micronutrients. And these can tell you a lot about the safety of that silage as well and the quality of it. So dry matter content, this will give you a pretty good indication of how, how well that silage um, has an filed. So you want it to be somewhere in the 30 to 70% moisture range. If it's too dry, you probably won't have gotten a very good fermentation and uh, mm-hmm. the preservation, uh, which can allow for spoilage. So another thing that the provincial lab offers, you can uh, request to test for pH. So it's just adding on to that standard package. So that can help piece together that puzzle a little bit better and give you a better idea of the quality of that ensiling and how much risk of spoilage that is. So you would want something under a pH of 5.5, ideally. Okay. The provincial lab, I think to add that on, it's only an extra $4. So it's really a no-brainer if you have any concerns because it, it really will tell you a lot about the, the quality of that. 
And uh, assuming that you do have good quality corn silage and it's ensiled properly, I really wouldn't be that concerned about fusarium uh, mm-hmm. since that fungus, it doesn't like the anaerobic low pH environment. But as soon as you have concerns with how well it ensiled, ensiled then spoilage, uh, it definitely would become a concern. Right. That makes sense. So would you recommend any a different test for something that you knew kind of had some disease going in or, or would you just stick with the regular, the regular feed test? I, I would stick with the regular feed test and just make sure like, even if disease is an issue at the time of harvest, as long mm-hmm. as it infalls properly, then that risk really is mitigated. So there's a lot that you can do during that, that processing to ensure that that quality is there. And uh, that standard feed test, it'll tell you things about the, uh, the energy content of that diet and protein content. And yeah, it's just super useful and you really can't feed a balanced ration without doing that. So it's just such a good and such an important thing to be doing. Yeah. And where it's, um, where you can do that one at, at our local lab, it's nice and easy and, uh, you don't have to send it away any distance to, to get that done. Do you have any tips for storage or ensiling to maintain feed quality or minimize the risk of making an existing problem worse? Yep. So since like fusarium, for example, it really doesn't exist in that low pH anaerobic environment. Uh, Do the best job that you can when you're making silage. So paying attention to proper moisture content, uh, packing density, and then properly sealing that. They're all really important. So as long as you can set that forage up to properly ensile, then you're going to make it extremely difficult for that fungus to produce those mycotoxins since in theory, they shouldn't live in those conditions. And then as, as far as once that has ensiled, it's really important to be keeping it fresh. So once you open up that row of bales or open up that pile or that um, silo, once that silage is re-exposed to oxygen, then there's that opportunity for spoilage and for molds to grow again. So make sure mm-hmm. that you're facing your bunch often especially for sheep, um, don't offer more silage than they can clean up in 48 hours or less in hot weather. So this is not so much a concern about fusarium, but um, mm-hmm. stereosis is, is a really big concern. So you have to be quite careful with your feeding silage to sheep. And then as far as grain goes, again, be really mindful of how you're storing it uh, and keeping it dry. If you're buying grain in, be wary of uh, any really cheap grain that might be available. I make sure that things just just smell fresh and not musty or or dusty. Okay. Uh, and you can always send that for a sample as well if you're um, unsure if, of the quality of that grain that you're buying in. Yep, definitely. So if you have any concerns, like you might get a steal, but you also might be buying in a problem. Uh, and one way that you can know for sure, or uh, at least have a, an educated guess is by sending that off and having it sampled. Great. Okay. Um, do you have any other tips or, or things you want to keep, want people to keep in mind concerning feed quality? I don't think so. I just want to impress that feed testing is, it is really an important thing to do. And just to get into that habit year over year, because uh, it can tell you a lot about the quality of your feed and the best use for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think that we've covered a lot of really interesting information here and, and looking at things from a little bit of a different perspective of that end use rather than just what's happening in the field. So yeah, thanks for joining me. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Outstanding in the Field. Stay tuned for a written summary coming up in the next edition of the CropLinks newsletter, which you can subscribe to by visiting our website. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes. 
follow us on social media at NS Perennia. Thanks to Perennia for supporting this podcast and our marketing and communications team for production and design. Happy harvest season.